Welcome to Back Porch Bible Studies, where friends come and talk about what the Bible says about our God. My name is Deborah Geisels, and I'll be your host on this weekly podcast. You know, it's been said that the heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. So here, we'll study to know our God, and to know Him is to love Him. So, grab a drink and settle in for an afternoon of catching up and talking about our great God. Welcome, friend, to my back porch. Well, here we are in Ephesians 6, verses 12 and 13. Who's your enemy? You know, last time we pointed out that God never intended for us to fight in our own strength, but to be strong in the strength of his might. Through the trials and and challenges of life, our goal is to practice relying on the Lord. Yeah, practice. What does this mean? It means that when you face tough times, like the betrayal of a friend or falling into a deep sin or financial struggles, feeling isolated, or being overwhelmed by anxiety, you stand, you choose to stand. You stand grounded in the truth that you are a cherished child of the one true God. You hold on to the the assurance that his love for you is eternal and he will never abandon you. You you are anchored in every storm in the truth that God sent his beloved son to grant you a new life and you stand firm in that reality. Embracing the truth of all that is now yours in Jesus Christ and understanding that heaven awaits you and you are nearing your eternal home. Turn with me to Ephesians 6, uh, starting in verse 10. Today I want to answer just one question. Who's your enemy? Okay, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Let's read this together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Look, it'd be easy to blame all our frustrations and temptations on the devil. And and that's exactly who Paul's talking about here. But let's clear up a couple things before we walk into this enemy. There is more than one source of ungodliness in our lives. Let me point out the other two sources that we face before we get into this enemy. Number one, (laughs) let's just start out with the most obvious, ourselves. How many times have you said or heard, we are our own worst enemy? Well, Paul couldn't agree with you more. In fact, he writes to the Romans about it in Romans 7, 14 through 25. Let me read that for you. If you want to flip over there, Romans 7, it's at the end of the chapter. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, 
I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Poor Paul. You can hear his frustration and who hasn't experienced it? Verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of the Lord in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Man, who hasn't been there? Paul, saved by the grace of God and freed from the power of sin, still finds himself wrestling with his old sinful nature. <laughs> Are there any old patterns in your life that even as, even as a Christian you still wrestle with? Of course. We wrestle with that old thing until we see Jesus face to face. As Christians, we have two natures. The new life, which we received when we accepted Christ, and the old sinful nature called the flesh, which Paul was talking about. The new nature is controlled by the Holy Spirit, but the old nature is characterized by sinful desires. When the sinless new nature is placed alongside the depraved old nature with which we were born, <laughs> there is conflict. Galatians 5.17 describes it very vividly. It says, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. Boy, isn't that the truth. But through our salvation, Jesus broke the bonds that held us prisoner to our sinful nature. You see, before we were saved, we had no option. We were slaves following the prince of darkness and unable to do differently. But God, in his grace and mercy, sent Jesus to the cross to break the power of sin over us. It, it no longer dominates our very being. However, as Paul so accurately describes, while sin's power over us was broken, it was not annihilated. The flesh manifests itself in many forms. For example, the new man, the, the new nature that is in us, knows we should study God's word. But the old man, the flesh, tries to keep us too busy to do that. The new man knows we should be peacemakers, but the old man thrives on controversy. The new man knows we should be patient with people and witness to them, but the old nature doesn't care. You see, resisting our fleshly desires is a form of, of dying. As described in the Bible in 1 Peter 2, 24, our corrupt flesh seeks satisfaction, believing it leads to happiness. And denying it feels like sacrificing something special. 
every day. We must acknowledge that nothing good resides in our flesh. When we obey the Spirit's guidance and reject our fleshly impulses, we're only rejecting what harms us, such as immorality, impurity, covetousness. This type of, quote, dying is merely shedding death. A choice worth making daily as it leads to life. Since our flesh's cravings are strong, we must pray for the Spirit's strength, recognizing the greater power within us. The Spirit-controlled self over the old self. Our sinful flesh brings only death, but by the Spirit's guidance, putting the flesh to death allows us to truly live. Today, when your unruly flesh makes maddening demands on you, remember this. It will not kill you to deny your flesh. You are choosing life. Another more subtle yet just as formidable enemy as the sinful nature within is the world system without. The Bible warns us not to love the world. And it reminds us that if we're friends with the world, we're actually enemies of God. The world here means the entire way of thinking and living that dominates culture contrary to God's ways. This world is all about putting us at the center, ignoring God, and living by selfish and ungodly standards. It, it says this is the only life that matters and promotes values like greed and power, selfishness, ambition, and pleasure. And it can seem intoxicating, exciting, and glamorous, tempting us to prioritize it over our spiritual values. It can even seem comfortable because we're so used to it. Studying God's word opens our eyes, preventing the world's perspectives from blinding us through ignorance. It's not unlike the federal agents who train to spot counterfeit money by studying authentic bills, not the false ones. They study authentic bills until they master the look of the real thing. Then, when they see the bogus money, they recognize it. What's so subtle about our worldview, you ask? Think about it for a minute. If I don't know the truth, how in the world will I recognize false values held by the world? You see, if we don't know the truth of God's word, we will inadvertently follow the thinking of the world around us. If we're not basing our thinking on God's word, we unknowingly or instinctively respond as the culture dictates. For example, when we think we are being nice to people who live opposing God and headed toward self-destruction, we aren't loving them at all by letting them live in their own reality. We've bought into what the world says about being tolerant. Truth represents the genuine principles rooted in God's word. It embodies values such as love and selflessness and obedience to God. The world system is counterfeit, containing deceptive teachings and false values. The world promotes selfishness, materialism, and worldly desires, drawing people away from God's truth. The thing about truth is that it's not just about facts or one's opinion. 
It's about being aligned with what is real. Let me say that again. Truth is about being aligned with what is real. When we talk about the biblical worldview, we acknowledge God as the ultimate reality. We admit that everything we perceive and experience in this world has its origin in Him. All of creation is from Him and all revelation is from Him. Psalms 33 says, The Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. For when He spoke, the world began. It appeared at His command. The Bible clearly points to the Word of God as the basis for reality, not relative reality, not relative truth, but truth. The key is to discern and uphold the truth while rejecting the counterfeit teachings that deviate from God's standard. This requires a careful examination of God's Word and seeking wise advice and growing in our understanding. You see, there is a significant contrast in where authority lies. The Bible tells us that God set the standard for truth, while the world suggests that everyone gets to make up their own rules. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money here represents the world's values, like materialism and personal ambition. Now, when Jesus talks about masters, he's referring to anything that can control us. The truth is our hearts follow what captivates us. Things like prominence, reputation, money, or any such addiction can become our master because they enslave us. In this context, Jesus specifically highlights money as a master opposed to serving God. He's clear that we can't serve two masters. So, following Jesus means abandoning all other masters. In the Old Testament, <laughs> Joshua put it brilliantly. He said, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It really simplifies life when we look at our lives and determine who we are serving. God, the world, or ourselves. All right, but down in Ephesians 6 verse 12, it begins by stating who we are not wrestling against. Flesh and blood. But hold on a second. I, I know flesh and blood, and, and I mean... It often feels like it's people who attacks us, right? So what is Paul saying? Who are we wrestling against if not people? Well, when Paul declares that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, the importance is not to deny the existence of tangible adversaries who are human and cause significant harm physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Paul is trying to stress that there's a whole other layer to this struggle. It's not just about the visible human influences. 
there's a much bigger enemy lurking behind the scenes. He is called the ruler of darkness, the devil with rulers and spiritual forces of evil. That's our third enemy, the power of darkness. Satan uses the allurements of the world and the appeal of the flesh, the first two enemies, to try and get us to do what God prohibits. Satan's biggest weapon is accusation, bringing shame, defeat, and the feeling of worthlessness. He wants us to become downhearted and to lose confidence. He works hard to bring depression and despondency into our lives. Saints' attacks don't always come in open, easily noticeable forms. They're usually subtle and, and crafty. He's not a monster who carries the pitchfork. He often comes as a good guy, promising to help. It would be much easier to identify and defeat the devil if he would come to us honestly and say, Good morning, Christian. I am the devil, and I want to get you involved with something that will bring misery and wretchedness, and in the end will dishonor your Savior. That would be helpful. It would be obvious then to say, Get thee behind me, Satan. But he doesn't come in such an open way. One of his shifty moves is to twist the truth. We saw it back in Genesis when he talked to Adam and Eve. He aims to chip away at the importance of marriage, the value of human life, and the idea of solid moral standards. That underhanded foe tries to mess with our focus during prayer, distract us from really diving into the word, and even make us shy away from sharing our faith. Look, I know I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but it's good to be reminded of what we are up against. We are all subject to the persuasions of the flesh from within, our twisted fallen self. Moreover, all of us are exposed to the influence of the world from without, the prevailing secular culture. But Beyond both these influencers is an enemy that contradicts and openly protests God and all that is good and righteous. The stakes in the conflict between Satan and God are profound and far-reaching. The battle between good and evil, the cosmic struggle for the supremacy of God's glory, the destiny of every single human being. Not only is Satan at war with God, but he is also at war with us, the children of God. Satan will do all he can to hinder our walk with the Lord, the integrity of our faith and beliefs, and, and he seeks to hold us in captivity. He is consistently battling for the life of the saved as well as for the soul of the sinner. We've talked about who our enemy is, so how do we handle this opponent? Well, first off, we need to stand our ground against him. James 4, 7 says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Then too, we must put on the full set of armor provided for battle. Ephesians 6, 14 through 18 describes the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We've got to keep at it. It's not a one-time thing. We've got to keep our guard up against all the evil tricks of the devil. That's what Ephesians 6.18 tells us. Stay alert and persistent. And last but not least, pray. Pray seeking God in all things as our commander and chief.
In our next discussion, we'll explore how the armor of God aligns with the broader message of maintaining unity and preserving peace within the body of Christ. May you fight the good fight and stand firm. See you next time. Thank you for joining us today on Back Porch Bible Studies. We are a ministry of women in Christian leadership. We are here to encourage, educate, and elevate women to live for Jesus Christ in God's glory. We do this by building a culture of sisterhood to equip women to know God's truth through His Word and to live authentically through the love of Christ. Please visit our website at womeninchristianleadership.com to learn more about upcoming events. Back Porch Bible Studies would like to thank our sponsor, the faith-based business of Millennium Metals, in business to serve Christ.